1: standing down from my podcast watch. This is Ken Levine with another episode of Hollywood and Levine. This is part two of my two-part conversation with sportscaster Jason Benetti. Now, Jason is the TV voice of the Chicago White Sox, and if you're a sports fan, you have probably heard him calling baseball, football, and basketball at one time or another on ESPN. If you missed part one of this two-parter after you listen to this, go back and check that out. This week we're gonna talk about working with various partners, notably Bill Walton, Also, having to negotiate his way around social media, you know, Twitter and all the trolls and that sort of thing. And he has to deal with cerebral palsy. And as you will learn, that has not stopped him from achieving any of his goals. We'll also get into replacing a legend in the White Sox booth in Hawk Harrelson. How do you do that? And other fun topics. So that's this week. Part two of my two-part interview with Jason Benetti, right here on Hollywood and Levine. Well, that brings me to partners. You have a great partner in Steve Stone when you're doing the White Sox. Doing ESPN, a lot of different sports, and they pair you with a lot of different people. I have to say it's great fun to listen to you and Bill Walton when they team the two of you guys. What a character that guy is.
0: Bill Walton. Have you met him?
1: Oh, yeah. We went to UCLA together.
0: You were there at the same time? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. He wow. won a national championship. I got a B in children's
0: lit. What, what? Did you win any awards at UCLA that you could compare to a national championship? No. No, not a, <laughs> that's, no. That's, so Bill, I think Bill is one of the most genuinely wonderful humans I have ever. Met. People think he's crazy and he may be, uh, people think he just rambles on and he does, but he's also very well prepared and he cares a lot about the people and the games he's doing. He also cares about things that he's very opinionated about, um, like like when UCLA played Liberty, and he talked about how it was a blemish on the mark of uh, on the record of the institution that will never go away. Uh, Bill is a genuinely kind, interesting, thrilling person to do a game with, because I know when I say something to him, it's always registering. There are things I've said to him in the first two minutes of a game. that I didn't even know if he heard and he brings back full circle in the second half without any acknowledgement that I said it in the first place. When he came to do the White Sox game against the Angels, he had pages upon pages upon pages of stuff about Mayor Richard Daley, about Studs Turkle, about like the bridges of Chicago. You could have asked about, I could have asked about Frank Lloyd Wright and he would have had something to say about it. He sees a game. I think as a giant web system of things that, that come out of the hub of whatever team that is. And he is willing to go anywhere. People think it's about reining him in. People have said, how do you deal with that? I think it's amazing. If, if, if I could do games with Bill Walton for six more decades and we both were going to be on the earth, I would sign up for it immediately. It's just a, it's a thrill because it's honestly, it's like a test of every bit of information I've ever gathered over my first 37 years because he pushes hard on, have you read this? Do you know this? What do you think about this reference? Uh, what do you, how many different uh, plants can you name from Maui? I don't know, but I'd like to know. I'm interested. I wish I knew as much as he does about things, but its I just think it's a joy.
1: On the other hand, I'm sure you've worked with partners who <laughs> are not as responsive, and boy, it's really tough. People don't realize, especially in television, how crucial it is to have some kind of relationship and some kind of chemistry with your partner. That's why you and Steve Stone doing those White Sox telecasts, it's just great because you both clearly like each other, and you both have a lot of fun in addition to, you know, calling the nuts and bolts of a baseball game.
0: I don't know when it became something other than fun. Maybe it's posturing for some people, whatever it might be. I I think you, you gotta have fun on a nightly basis, but yeah, I've had to your point about partners who just kind of don't get it. I, I like to ask questions and I like to see where it goes. We, we kind of hit the jackpot in that Padres Dodgers game. There was a guy who uh, didn't have his sunglasses down and was looking into the sun to try to catch a ball. And I said to Eduardo Perez, okay, tell me once and for all why guys have sunglasses on their head if they're not going to flip them down. And he said, well, sometimes with the way the tint is for sunglasses, it actually makes it more difficult based on the angle of the ball if you have the sunglasses down. And I'd not really heard that before. I just made fun of people for not having their sunglasses down. And uh, the opposite end of that is I was doing a basketball game low-level game on like a Monday night on ESPN U six. And I uh, finished the first four minutes and my partner turned to me and said, Hey, don't ask me questions. I might not be thinking what you're thinking. (laughs) Okay. He did not funny enough. And you wouldn't expect this. He has not applied for the second city workshop here in Chicago.
1: (laughs) When I was doing TV for the Mariners, we had for a while Ken Griffey Sr. as my partner. And this was a role that he was never comfortable in. And it was a role that he was sort of pushed into. And so he was very sparing. I had to constantly draw information out of him. And what we would do as part of our format, if we had a pitching change... We would come back, and I would say, okay, new pitcher is Brian Roberts. And then Ken would say, yeah, Brian's uh, got a good fastball, and he's working on a palm ball, and blah, 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 and give the scouting report. Okay, So we bring up a new pitcher, and we come back from a commercial, and I go, and uh, making his Mariner debut, it's uh, Brian Phillips. Silence. I go, Kenny? And he goes, right-hander. Oh. More silence. I said, care to tell us about him? (laughs) (laughs) Like, more silence. And finally, I just said on the air, my analyst, ladies and gentlemen. Nice. (laughs) and he just didn't care i mean he laughed at, at it he he just right, didn't right, care right. but boy it is so much harder when you're in a situation
0: like that i've never done a baseball season with somebody who's like that i it would it would be draining it, it, as long as they were a good person i can handle that if it's somebody who doesn't care and likes to brag about not caring and doesn't even laugh about it and has like it tries to protect themselves that would you got to have some surprise every day and that's what stony is great at every day he veers somewhere a bunch of times that i don't expect he's going and it's always shocking to the system in the best way possible in terms of like idea creation we always land on something new and to me that like what other what other analyst let alone somebody in his 70s is going to create the game is it lunch we had this day game in boston we had a 10 a.m game and we played the game is it raining where people tell us if it's raining in their neighborhood or not uh, because chicagoans <laughs> love to call you from 10 blocks away and say is it raining by you and then you say no and they say well it's coming it's raining by us <laughs> I'm like crazy and so we play is it raining and so stoney somebody had like a thing of nachos in the stands at like 10 30. It was a Boston Marathon Patriot Day game at Fenway. And he said, you know, we should play is it lunch. So now every day game we have, people send us pictures of what they're eating at home with the hashtag is at lunch and we tell them if they're having lunch or not.
1: No, oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, kind of- well you guys also will pick up on things that just happen to occur I was watching one of your games recently and you guys were in Cleveland and like all of a sudden you were invaded by seagulls yeah. <laughs> and these birds are like flying across the screen and that type of thing and you guys just went right to it with Hitchcock references and who's feeding these guys and you know it's like you immediately seized upon it and turned it into a, a really fun bit. And it did not detract from the game at all. It just added
0: to it. Stony always has a great comment. There was there was a Sox player a couple of weeks ago that took the Gatorade tub and put it on his head upside down. And I said <laughs> something that was an okay line. Then Stony said... Cooler heads prevail. <laughs> and I lost it. Because that was that was the match game five hundred dollar answer. Cooler right. heads prevail. Brevity is the soul of wit. It was just it was brilliant and I love watching people with him because he always has something that is so incisive and great. So
1: for you as a kid growing up in Chicago. To actually get the Chicago White Sox job, what a dream come true
0: that must have been for you. I, it was crazy. I mean, it was crazy. And the, the weirdest part was, you know, you go to journalism. I went to journalism school. I did 10 years in the minors. And 10 years in the minors can be a little hardening of the senses you're with teams, you know, I don't have any tie to the Salem Avalanche. I love the people there in A-ball, but I didn't grow up a Salem Avalanche fan. I didn't grow up a Syracuse Chiefs fan or a Windy City Thunderbolts fan or the High Point Panthers basketball team that I did. And so you care about them, but you don't care to the point where you're going to, like, throw things when you get home, which I had <laughs> done with the Sox when they lost when I was a kid. You know, I was, I was a hardcore fan of the number of teams in the Sox were very high on that list. And so I didn't know how it was gonna be when I did the games. And my first game I ever did in the regular season with the Sox, it was a freezing day. And the Sox came back late on an Avasayil Garcia home run to beat the Indians in either the seventh or the eighth inning. And I'm calling the ball flying over the wall. And me, hardened Journalism School, calls the home run and I felt a tear or two forming in my eye, which was crazy to me because it's one of those, you, you grow into being this, you know, allegedly objective person and you do all these seasons and you get hardened by life and cynicism grows on a minor league baseball bus. And here I am welling up about a home run in April and it's awesome to me. That's always a Don't reminder. You care? Yeah. Well, but it's a, it's a reminder, too, of how much sports matters, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you and I, I think, both feel the same way in why we love doing games, and, and that we love it so much. I mean, you could have easily just been done with your writing career, and you had this thing where you just had to go do baseball games. And I love that about you because, you know, I, I love doing sporting events so much, and I love watching them and the drama of them. That I can't, and I can't get growing up a Sox fan out of my soul. Even if I wanted to, there's no place to cut into and pull that out. It's just there. You
1: yeah, it was very weird for me as a longtime Dodger fan. It didn't bother me so much when I was doing American League teams like the Orioles and the Mariners. But when I did the Padres for three years, it was kind of tough because I'm sitting in Dodger Stadium in the press box, you know, right down from Vin Scully, and and I'm calling the other team, but in my heart, <laughs> it's like I'm a Dodger fan. I'm a Dodger fan. I remember calling a Mike Piazza home run and kicking myself afterwards because I was a little too enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever think that you want to do things beyond sports? And I know that last year, you and I put together a fun project where we got Major League Baseball and NFL announcers to do some of the cheer scripts that David Isaacs and I wrote, which you can find on Sportscaster Scenes, colon, cheers, and you can see him. We, we did a couple.
0: But you were very good as Fraser Crane. You ever uh, get the acting bug? Two things. Number one, I think the best thing that happened in the months that we were all inside was that George Wendt thought I was funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, George. George played Norm. We couldn't find anyone to play Norm.
0: Oh, no, no. We had yeah. to land the actual yeah. I, you know, without without getting too maudlin, as somebody who walks a little funny, and maybe we'll talk about it later. Maybe we won't. But I have I have cerebral palsy, and so I don't walk like normal human beings. But I do like I love performance. I love watching people perform. I never did theater. I never was in it. I never like sung or anything like that. But I love great performers. I love being around them. I love uh, watching what they do and studying them and great comics and. I have thought uh, over the past year that you know maybe there's a chance that after a after a uh, night game on the road or something, if there's an open mic night, I would just go kick around five minutes of a set and see what happens, see if anybody that doesn't know me thinks I'm funny uh, just because I kind of love the idea of the challenge of it. I never did any of that stuff because I didn't want to go walk around on stage and I don't know how many people would cast somebody who walks funny as like Sam Malone, right? But I I do enjoy the heck out of performance, and and I especially like watching people do it. So yeah, I I definitely have interest down that line, but I don't, you know, I don't know how it's going to happen. So
1: the cerebral palsy, as a result of that, when you joined the White Sox, there was a. NBC News profile and CBS Sunday morning profile, but it's something that you have so learned to live with and has not stopped you from achieving your dreams. And to me, the inspirational part of that is how successful you are and how uh, you serve as a role model that shouldn't hold you back
0: well you've always gotten it since we've been friends you just you've understood me very well and I appreciate you saying that uh this just a couple days ago as we're taping this the White Sox unveiled uh a large retro racer they call it it's like a large plush doll blow up doll of all the announcers and they used to have this race with Hawk and Ed Farmer and Darren Jackson and Stoney, and they'd go run around the outfield, and whoever won, they kept the leaderboard, whatever it was. But it's like a big head of all the announcers and the little legs running after them. So they finally, they were going to do it last year, pandemic hit. I finally have my own retro racer, uh, which I, you know, I did not clamor for. But what I love about the White Sox is, and this this to me shows that Some people there really do get it with me. The White Sox, I have an eye that drifts. The White Sox made my retro racer with realistic eyes. So the (laughs) eyes are not centered. And I texted our marketing guy, Brooks Boyer, and I said, you do not know how exciting it is for me that you were just willing to slap that on up there. Because some people would try and make it look pretty and look normal and, you know, think that I might get offended by it. That's t- th- no, like that is me. And that's fine. I actually said when they told me that they were introducing it that day, I asked the person who told me about that. Did they teach the person in the costume to run like me? And they said <laughs> no. And I'm ha- I said, I- I'm happy to give them lessons if they want. <laughs> but so yeah, you'll I
1: finish last every time.
0: Right. Well, I'm scrappy though. So they, they need to, they need to run poorly, but also be highly competitive. That's the, that's the trap that I'm in. I was the kid who, when we were playing ping pong, when I was a kid, like I was pretty good and I didn't like losing. So I'm a highly competitive person who's not real good at a lot of stuff, which was truly a twilight zone episode. <laughs>
1: So when you joined the the White Sox, I'm sure it was an adjustment for fans because your predecessor in the Hall of Fame, Ken Hawk Harrelson, had a very different style from you. He was very much a homer. I mean, yes, and grab some pine, buddy. And, you know, he was very outspoken uh, and a uh, former player. And you are more of a journalist. Did you find it hard at the beginning or fans just accepted you? Because, like I said, you're very different from what White Sox fans had heard
0: for 20, 30 years. You know what? I have literally never thought about this. But the way you just described that, I think, is the reason it worked. When you follow somebody who's even a little bit like you you can be seen as a a bad version of that, right? Oh, he's, he's like a little Hawk or he's trying to be Hawk or whatever. Nobody's going to ever accuse Hawk of trying to be like anybody. And nobody's ever going to accuse me of trying to be like Hawk because we're totally different people. That's not saying I don't love the guy. I do. He's been great to me, but we're so different that I think there were some people who may have never loved Hawk who immediately were willing to love me. And there were some people who always are going to love Hawk who are just like, hey, who's a little nerdy guy? He's terrible, whatever. So <laughs> that's, but that's fine. But I think for the most part, Hawk had done it for so long, and he was so good at it, especially in the 90s when I was growing up. He and Tom Pichoric were unbelievably fun. And while people may not say I'm like Hawk or trying to be like Hawk or whatever – I think if you watch Hawk and Wimpy from the 90s, him and Tom Pachorek, I don't think it's that different than Stoney and me. They just had a lot of fun with one another. They enjoyed sometimes having an inside joke or two, and they wanted the Sox to win. And And I think Hawk a little bit shape shifted as the years went on, and he started to get the reputation for yelling at umpires and everything that went along with it. But that was pure fun in the 90s when they were doing it. And so and when he and Tom were doing it, and, and I've done a couple games with Tom Pachorik as a fill-in when Stoney's been gone. And we, I'm telling you, I have never laughed this hard in my life. We had a, a series in Detroit, I want to say three years ago, and we used to have the Guaranteed Rate Farm Report, where we tell you what's going on with Charlotte and with Birmingham and all this stuff. And I start doing the intro to the Farm Report, and Tommy's over next to me making pig and cow sounds because <laughs> it's the farm report. He's neighing and he's mooing. I still have not gotten through the farm report. I lost <laughs> my mind. It was unbelievably hilarious. It, but, but that's, I mean, that's what Hawk and Wimpy were. So actually, I think it was it was fairly easy to jump in because I wasn't at all some sort of, like generic version of Hawk. I was me and I I was self-assured enough to sit down and be me.
1: One thing that's certainly different now than even, you know, 20 years ago when I was doing it is social media and Twitter. I mean, I remember when I was in Baltimore, there were certain people who hated me, but they were confined to one letter to the editor Every Saturday. (laughs) You know, I I I wasn't crushed with a thousand tweets of saying we hate this guy. But now it's like everything announcers say get analyzed and and I, I applaud you for still having a personality because it seems to me that so many announcers decide to just play it safe because they
0: don't want any criticism if I wanted to play it safe, I would be a CPA. Honestly, that's how I feel. I I think uh, multiple things about that topic. I think if you're scared to be yourself, you need to figure out what yourself is and then try to put it out in the world. Uh, I wasn't always like that. I'm glad I did the years in the minors because I do now know like hey, you're going to get puns. You're going to get random lines from Frazier. Sometimes there's going to be a reference to Little Shop of Horrors and whatever. Like, I, I um, our director currently hates me. We have one of the greatest young directors <laughs> in Major League Baseball. His name's Andrew Blaustein, and he wasn't with us for much of last year. He did a portion of 2019 and 2018. He usually does half the schedule or so. Andrew is tremendous, and our other guy, Dave Turner, is really, really good, too. But Andrew... Uh, And I have a fairly similar sense of humor, but he hates me right now because there was a guy named Keegan Aiken pitching for the Orioles the other day on a Sunday afternoon. And I hit talk back and I said, Andrew, can you show me Keegan Aiken's jersey? And we hadn't, you know, we hadn't been down this road for a couple of years. So he shoots the jersey. And I say, it's the rare pitcher, Steve, who's both a pitcher and an adjective. If you say (laughs) it as akin and Andrew, Andrew hits me back in talk back and says, never again. <laughs> and I referred to him as the getaway car on the air. <laughs> he was so pissed that he had been used for that horrible joke. He, and I when he said never again, I remember we were talking about it over over dinner after that. I remembered that there was one there. There was another one of those where I asked him for something like that. And the same thing happened. And he said, never again, <laughs> but, like but Charlie I, Brown
1: in the football.
0: That's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. And he keeps coming back for the extra point, but I social media, I try to remember that it's not everybody. I don't respond to people. Cause I don't like giving their evil thoughts, oxygen, I also think that people are allowed to dislike you. There's one guy at ESPN radio in Chicago who like spends most of his day tweeting about how much I suck. And I went up to him (laughs) at Stocks Fest in 2018 and said, hey, Fred, how you doing, Jason? And we know each other because I interned at a radio station he was at before. And I just said to him, look, I get it that you don't like me. You get to have your own opinion. That's what I love about this is people get to have their own opinions on what's good and what's not. And he was like, wow, that's very nice of you for taking the high road. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I said, hey, we should go grab lunch or some at some point. And then he keeps subtweeting me. Like he just keeps yelling about me and keeps hating me. And that's fine. People are allowed to dislike the work if they want to dislike the work that we put ourselves out there. The one thing I don't like about Twitter, and I think a lot of people feel this way uh, especially when you start to wade into political things when when uh, the beginning of last year, when there was a moment when there were a couple teams who walked off the field, we thought the sox might not play uh, in solidarity with Black Lives Matter that night, and I said something on our pregame show about having a disability and so sort of understanding what people who are of uh you know a race that isn't as much appreciated, you know, people of different races struggle with things like being uh, profiled by the police. And I said, "I I don't know what it's like to have my life be in danger, but I do know that I get some, the same types of things at airports and all this stuff. And our network posted the clip online. And then very quickly, I got a lot more followers who had a lot of letters and numbers in their name and started to try to make me into a demon by just clicking around. It was, it was all bots, I mean, there were mm. bots literally following me from that day who I never heard from again. And so I think when decision makers look at Twitter and make decisions based on Twitter, they're falling right into the trap of what the bots want. And I I, I would not comment about this except I saw it happen to both me and Steve that day. That it, it That is real. And so I just... I don't ever reply to them because I don't know if I'm replying to a bot. And I just like Twitter for the games that it can provide and we can play with real fans.
1: Well, we sure enjoy you doing those games. Love you on ESPN. You know, one thing when you're calling national games, you talk about criticism. I'm sure you're constantly getting people accusing you of rooting for the other team right? (laughs) You're always rooting for the other team, even though, like you said, you're doing some football game, two teams that you're not going to see again for three years.
0: It always happens, no matter what, always. There are some days where I do need to go back and listen and see if for some reason, maybe I think the tendency sometimes is you get behind the home team a little more because of the energy in the arena. That is something I've thought about before. I don't know. I don't think it's true across the board, but I do think you can soar with the crowd some. So I think it's very much like the – the way umpires, sometimes you think maybe they're trying to please the home crowd or referees or whatever. People have done research on that very specific topic. So I do sort of check myself on that. But yeah, everybody thinks you hate their, their team. That is never going to stop. Ever in the history of the world, never will that stop because nobody believes objectivity is real. And they all think they're being slighted by national people. Even Yankee fans think they're being slighted by national people. Which oh, is well, nonsense. well, people do hate the Yankees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they're on TV all the time. Right.
1: Well, I, people hate the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. There's always, the you know, beat L.A. and that type of thing. But to me, that's good. Because, again, it shows that fans care. I mean, how many people despise
0: the Arizona Diamondbacks, right? (laughs) I was just going to ask you, who do you think the least hated team in baseball is? I was going to say the Rockies, and you just said the Diamondbacks.
1: Yeah, I'd say the Rockies or the Mariners. The poor Mariners haven't won anything since the Pleistocene era. It's like, how can you hate them?
0: (laughs) Yeah, what's there to hate? Right. Up, but the you problem is slow. they
1: never get on national
0: television, so you won't be accused of hating them. You're safe. They only get on national television when they go to rotary club meetings.
1: <laughs> That's true. Hey Jason, thanks very much. Really appreciate
0: it. This was awesome, Ken. Thank you.
1: Good luck. Go Sox. Oh wait, I have to be neutral. Okay. Oh. Oh, now
0: everybody's going to use that against you on the Twitter box.
1: That's right. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. What has he got against the Diamondbacks? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thanks, bud. That was awesome. And that will do it for my two-part interview with Jason Benetti. Our thanks to Jason. Also, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce, and Jason Miller. I am available if uh, you want to get in touch with me for any reason. And just email me at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I will write you back. hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm on Twitter at Ken Levine, also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. So follow me on all these various places and platforms. Why not? More good stuff next week. Thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you then. Hollywood and Levine.